Welcome to the BIOS podcast by Elix Ventures. BIOS is a community of early stage healthcare and life sciences founders and investors. BIOS curates content, hosts events, crafts resources, and creates a community to facilitate collaboration. BIOS unites like-minded members of the startup universe and is anchored by Alix Ventures, a San Francisco-based venture fund that invests in early-stage healthcare and life sciences companies. To learn more about us, visit bios.community or alix.vc. Welcome to the BIOS Podcast. I'm Jimmy Tian. It's my pleasure to welcome Jessica Chow to today's episode. Jessica is the Director of the Clinical Innovation Center at UCSF. She is also a partner at Iterative VC and an advisor at Berkeley Skydeck. She holds an MBA from Johns Hopkins and a doctorate of pharmacy from the University of Washington. She previously founded a health tech startup called HealthO. In this episode, we talk about the disconnect between innovation and implementation within large healthcare systems and possible solutions for this issue. We discuss how COVID has affected UCSF, but also health systems in general, especially as the pandemic relates to implementation science. Finally, we discuss startup pilots with healthcare systems and what mistakes startups tend to make in partnering with these systems. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do and how did you get here? Yeah, so uh, my current role is uh, I'm director for the UCSF Clinical Innovation Center, um, which I could talk a little bit more about. Um, but I'm sort of having this um, non-traditional background. I'm a pharmacist by training, which um, I really liked because I really love therapeutics and how it actually solves a problem, which is like getting to how you actually treat a patient. Um, so that's something that I really liked about pharmacy. Um, got a little bit about into um, about pharmacoeconomics, so learn about how things drugs are priced. Why is it priced that way? Um, so that was super interesting. But then when I was still doing my pharmacy um, internship, they basically the people told me like, hey, like East Coast is very different. You should really get a clinical basically um, um, experience um, as even as a pharmacist. So basically, what I did is I went to East Coast. Um, I was at the Johns Hopkins Hospital um, during my residency in health administration. Um, where I basically did both clinical and non-clinical work there. And I also obtained my MBA there. So that's sort of my background. Could you tell us a little bit about the UCSF Clinical Innovation Center? The Clinical Innovation Center was started about six years ago now because there were a lot of research being done at UCSF, a lot of new creations, new solutions that are created and studied. Um, But we found that none of which are getting into the health system. So there must be something wrong with it, right? So why are you creating a lot of research, but the hospital and the care delivery setting is not really benefiting from it. Um, And so um, basically me and my boss now, the chief innovation officer, started the center to mainly think about how do we create the right infrastructure to allow for these innovations to be tested and then piloted and implemented into the health system. And how do we allow the health system to learn as a whole? So the whole community is innovative and not just for the faculty who are just doing research. So we started then. Um, and basically what it does now, um, it basically does a lot of different projects um, that is service design focused. So what I mean by that is um, we create new services. Um, we also partner with um, different industry partners to think about how we could improve the service. Everything is more about service based. Um, so how do you make the operations work better? And not just that, um, it's also about how do you make the culture um, basically understand like what's going on. Like why are there so many changes, for example? Um, so that's basically the gist of what we're doing. 
I could go into a little bit more about the partnerships and the services later. Could you just really quickly go through your role as the director of the center? What, what do you do? Yeah. What I do is I talk to a lot of faculty to understand like what are their pain points. And they also come to me when they're starting a new service. So for example, um, we're now thinking about a like pediatric chronic illness clinic um, because no one has ever done it before at UCSF. Um, so for those type of nuances, um, we usually get um, informed by the health system of like, hey, this is going on, you should go help. Um, and then basically we um, go and see how we could create a we have initial discovery session. And then we, um, with the faculty and the pro product team and the project team, um, define what the service is. And then we develop the service and then we deploy the service. Um, so this is from the service design angle. Um, this called a double diamond model, um, where it's a little easier to, to sort of understand. So discovery is sort of like the beginning of the diamond where you're going basically like really broad to understand like what are the, basically what are the workflow, what is the service, um, what, what's basically all the implications from operational to financial implication, um, and then go define the, the state of what you want to be, um, and then develop and then deploy. I like that framework. Where do you think most people run into issues when they're just trying to implement projects on their own? Yeah, I think it's really hard to come from a, systems perspective. Um, it's not something like, oh, it's, it's really cool to have a system perspective. It's really complex. Um, but the thing that they would want is, hey, I'm like, um, I'm a faculty, I have this idea, how to make it work in the system. That is probably the hardest thing. You could basically do a pilot and it will basically show a little bit of good results. But to be able to work with the system is something that a lot of faculty don't know. Um, so they actually welcome support for that. So for example, um, we were doing this Solarium Reduction Initiative um, for creating basically an, a test for nurse to administer for all non-ICU patients um, to see if we could basically refer them to um, neurologists to help with um, delirium and also to administer um, some non-pharmacological um, activity, such as like opening the blinds or like making sure there's um, water next to the patient so they're always hydrated. Um, so those small things apparently are the hardest thing to do um, even though, yes, like someone wrote a paper about it, but when you implement, it's basically like a year and a half long process. Wow, that, that's so interesting because we've talked so much about healthcare innovation, right? Especially at places like UCSF, like Stanford, we're, we're always creating these super high-tech solutions, but it doesn't matter if we can't even get the most basic things into the patient clinical workflow. Yeah, exactly. I think when we mapped out the workflow for the delirium reduction initiative, it was basically like one new thing. We were just introducing basically um, um, an, a test that the nurses can administer. Um, but then that basically created 10,000 more steps that we need to basically account for in order to implement something very small. Do you think that's something that not just medical faculty, but also startups have a problem seeing? Is like, how do you actually learn step-by-step step what the workflow is and how to best plug into that? Do you, do you think like when you work with startups, that's something that they need more coaching on? Yeah, I think this is interesting. So in the beginning, when you tell a startup, and I've done it like hundreds of times. So um, when you tell them like, hey, you, you actually don't understand this. You have to like learn about this. It's really hard for them to understand. It's sort of like, you don't know what you don't know. Um, but then like usually in year three to four is like when they come back like, oh, I actually don't understand. I understand what you're saying. Um, then they pretty like absorb what's going on. Um, so it's hard because it's a lot to digest at the same time. And these are like people with like 10 years of experience really try to explain something to you. 
Um, and so I think that's pretty hard. We have had uh, like PhD um, students who come in or fellows to learn about like our workflow, what's going on. Um, usually like at the year end of three months, that's when they come back and say like, hey, like this is really complex. Like how could it work? Like how does it actually work? Or like how could it ever work when there's so much like bureaucracy and politics going on? Um, so when they see that, a lot of times they would go into a state of, I don't know if I could do anything to, to basically change healthcare, care. Or um, they, unless they're willing to do something really small. So there's this like, I don't realize it, don't know any better. That's pretty, a, probably a good thing for the startup. Um, and then later when they realize it, then they really need to refine the product to actually solve the problem that they could really solve. If I'm a founder and I, I want to learn more about how to best plug in, usually I wouldn't have access to a champion like you, right? There is mm. no innovation center at, like that, that I could just go to at most places. So what then should I do as a founder? Mm. Um, I think a lot of times it might be talking to more than just like 50 people. Um, because when you talk with one physician, you talk to one physician and their viewpoint is a lot of times skewed um, and because they're trained to do so. And so it's not just looking at talking with like doctors and get their feedback. It's also talking with the nurses, um, the patients and getting a variety of them. So it's sort of like sample sizing, but doing it in the right way. So you get the right perspective. Having chief innovation officers and innovation centers or groups is, is very popular these days, right? Hospitals, academic medical centers, even big pharma. Basically, every organization has some sort of innovation unit. But if we look at these organizations like hospitals, academic medical centers, big pharma, these are some of the slowest moving entities out there. So how do you actually drive innovation within one of these organizations that have so much inertia and resistance? I would actually think that even like UCSF, Stanford, or Hopkins, we are interested in innovation. I don't think we could disagree from that. So I think talking with any faculty or doctors, nurses, um, they're like, I want to innovate. They just want this. Um, but I think what's happening right now is, so then they start an innovation center. But at the end of the day is, can you actually make it work? So execute on what is innovative. I think the execution is probably where um, the sore point is for most organizations is if you have this symptom checker, can you actually implement it and build a right use case for it? Um, can you actually do it in a hundred clinics? That is very different. Can you actually do it in a hundred clinics with like 10,000 different scheduling um, um, templates? So that is where the sort of the, the rubber meets the road. Um, that's usually where innovation fails. Um, and that's why a lot of the new innovation there, which is basically not like therapeutics anymore. Um, it's more like digital health or like care delivery innovation. They really need sort of all this, like in, in the infrastructure in order for it to work. So it's not just doing research now, it's about implementation. Um, and that's why a lot of the innovation fail. That's so interesting because that's almost like shifting the risk of creating a new company, creating a new technology later down the road, right? The idea, maybe the founding team, the very early stages, if implementation is the such, such a big problem, that's not actually where most of the risk lies. It's what happens after that. As you try to scale into a customer, a large medical center, you try to scale across clinics, then companies start failing because of this implementation science problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think like, Okay, if you think about academic centers, um, they are naturally like innovative, right? I'm a faculty. I actually have like maybe like 50% of my time I need to find research. Um, so research is sort of like, can I find a new problem to solve? 
the problem with researchers right now is not like the problem to solve, it's more like who is paying me to do it. Um, and so that's sort of where it sort of got skewed. Um, in care delivery innovation, so a lot of the digital health that's coming up, that's very different that a lot of the faculty are not trained to understand what does it mean by care delivery innovation. That doesn't make sense uh, to a lot of faculty. And so that's sort of where <laughs> um, our faculty don't understand like what's going on in the hospital system. And that's not to their fault because they're not trained to do that. So I think there's also an education component. So we have like fellows, right, where students and residents are just learning this. Um, so then they, they could be a better implementation scientist down the road. There are different types of innovation, right? You just talked about healthcare delivery innovation. That's different, mm -hmm. let's say, from trying to implement innovations in biopharma, where it's the actual like life sciences, deep tech sort of innovation. So is there a difference in how people should approach that? Yeah. I think one thing about biopharma and biotech when you have a therapeutics option is that you kind of know what that form factor is and you know how that form factors will fit in the system. So for example, if I'm basically creating a pill, um, I just need to know um, that there's a class, there is a like um, condition that the FDA will approve. Once it gets to that hurdle and is approved, the next hurdle is a little bit less than sort of care delivery innovation. So I already know that there's a formulary, so I just need to get to the formulary. So when it's there, um, providers will prescribe it. Um, there's a pharmacy to basically um, orders it and distribute it. So those are all like systems that are already in place. Like the EMR is built for these. So once you have a new formulary pill, like it's on the formulary, like you could just prescribe it. So that's something that is already built, the entire ecosystem to support a pill. Um, I think the problem is if you have an app, the app sort of, is sort of um, an illusion in a way, so it's so easy to build, um, but it's so hard to implement, sort of like the flip side of creating like a pill, for example, um, because you not only need to understand like who is using it, but how is the system using it? So that automatically becomes much more complex. That's interesting because then from an investor point of view, then evaluating these different sorts of ventures becomes a very different game, right? Because the risk really lies at different stages of the company. And, mm -hmm. and you, you have some perspective here. You're a partner at Iterative VC. So could you tell us a little bit about what you do there? Yeah, so Iterative was just very organic. So we're already helping with a lot of founders, getting them to the right stages, giving them like advice and deck uh, and fundraising. So basically, all we did is made it more organized. Um, so we got our friends together. We have some friends that we grew up with um, who's also um, under startup that we actually founded companies before with. And we basically um, just make it make it a little bit more broad. But I think the build of the iterative is basically very organic. Um, and so right now, like this allow us to look into a range of problem areas, uh, one of which for healthcare is insulin, was a UCSF spin out and was funded by YC. Um, we funded them um, because the problem they're solving is pretty interesting. And so they have this like encapsulation technologies that they could put beta cells in. Uh, so then instead of transplanting a pancreas, um, entire pancreas, you could transplant the beta cells, which is amazing. Um, so sort of the prospect of that was really interesting for us. I'd like to pivot a little bit and talk about recent events. So obviously this is COVID, right? It's taken over the world. It's putting immense strain on our healthcare system. And you've seen a lot of what's going on because you're at UCSF right now. So could you tell us a little bit what's been going on at UCSF during the pandemic? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit crazy. Um, I think it's more like all hands on deck, like what is going on? Every single minute could be a little bit different and the solutions that we're using um, could be a little bit different and we're okay with it, which is 
very different situation than um, non, not during COVID when we're trying to like, hey, try to implement this because <laughs> it could work. It's sort of everything is accelerated, um, both in a good and a bad way. Um, for us, I think right now, when we are in the meeting, we're like, okay, like this is what I do for COVID now and versus my regular job um, because it's a little bit different. Um, so like now, a lot of times I'm helping out with implementing a new digital solution um, to help patients uh, basically triage to the right, um, right endpoints and disposition. Um, with that, there's a lot of new data that we're basically creating and learning. So it's sort of this hyper learning mode that we're in. Could you talk a little bit about the digital solutions that you've been working with? Yeah, so I probably won't name the companies, but I think for them, um, it's mostly like telemedicine. So for now, we're like, okay, um, we have outreach to patients where like, don't come into the clinic for appointments um, because we don't want you to be there in person if you don't have to. Um, it's both a risk to the health system and for the patient. So we have this like automated call that we send out to patients um, to let them know that, hey, can you either reschedule your appointment or basically make it a video visit? Um, if you do make it a video visit, um, we will have a team that basically like teaches you how to use Zoom. Um, it's really difficult for some of our patients, which is understandable. And it could take basically up to half an hour to just set it up. Um, mm -hmm. So that's basically what we have done. That's sort of just the screening process, automated calls. And then we also created a um, MyChart as an Epic sort of module for patients to communicate with us. Um, and so within that module, when they basically look into their like Epic email, which is MyChart, we have this um, MyChart self-triage where we basically create an algorithm um, to basically triage based on symptoms, where they have been before, what other things they have experienced, exposure histories. Um, then we map it to basically risk level. So instead of diagnosing, which we're not, we're basically stratifying into different risk categories. So from like emergent to urgent, non-urgent, or to low risk, um, we map it to the specific state. And at the end of the day, you're actually mapping to an operational endpoint. So for urgent, like go to the ED for, sorry, for emergent. For urgent, you might need to make an appointment with the respiratory symptoms clinic, which we just started um, to triage COVID patients. Uh, for non-urgent, you might be able to do video visit um, with our urgent care clinic. Um, and so those, the hard part about the whole solution is that it's not about the creation of the algorithm. Like that's probably the easy part. The hard part is making it work and implement it in the, in the health system. So that basically took us forever to do. Um, we did it and we're meeting every day to figure out like how to make it better. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things that we're also doing. Like we spun up a call center um, just so that we could have um, flexibility um, in triaging patients. Um, right now, because for any health system, we serve a large range of patients. Um, so in that case, not everyone knows how to use their phone. Not everyone knows how to use my chart. Um, so for us, it's how do we accommodate 100% of our patients, uh, no matter what language they speak. And usually that's, that's sort of the hard, hardest problem for us. Every single day during the pandemic, things are changing drastically. And the speed at which everything moves is, is very breathtaking. And there's a famous quote Lenin once said, there are decades where nothing happens, and there are weeks where decades happen. So you talked about this where things are moving so quickly right now at UCSF, but like medicine generally moves very slowly, right? So how do you suddenly adapt to the fact that now decades are passing within weeks? How do you shift around the usual structures and processes to, to move this quickly without sacrificing fundamentals such as patient and provider mm -hmm. safety? Yeah, 
<clears throat> so there's no more weekends. <laughs> uh, so on Friday, um, there's no more like, it's have a nice weekend because we all work on Fridays. Um, so the hyper mode of us basically talking to each other and communicating, I love that because that's problem solving, right? I'm like, why did you come up with this? Like, why, why is the solution working um, or not working? Um, and so I love all of those conversations. So for example, I'm helping the ED build like a registration system that is a contactless system. Um, so they don't have to, like the clerks don't have to like, hey, I'll hand you a paper, fill out a form, um, give it back to me, and then I touch your paper, also the insurance card and the ID card. Um, so it's something like very simple solution. Um, it took us probably like 10 hours um, to just talk through things about like, we have to ask this, but patients may not understand this. They have a phone. Uh, what language can it be translated in? Those are all really good conversations. And then allowing that to happen within like days, it's amazing. Um, those conversations we would have, would, would not have gotten without COVID in a way. Um, it would have gotten us probably like a year or months um, to figure that out. But with COVID, I think everyone is aligning their calendars for this issue um, that allow us to talk to each other more and make decisions faster. So do you actually think that this is going to create a lasting impact on how people are making decisions and how we could actually move faster? <laughs> um, we'll see about afterwards where people are like, oh my gosh, I, I think too much. I, it was just like so much work that I'm going to take a break. Um, but I felt like it did because all of a sudden, um, when everyone is talking to each other, they need to know who is who and what did they do. Um, that allow us to talk to each other and have us rapport. Um, I'm hoping that this will translate to after the COVID, when we work together, that'll be so much more easier. Are you seeing any changes in the structure of bureaucracy or any decentralization of decision-making? Yes and no. I think during this time, I think there's probably a handful of people who need to understand everything um, in order to help us make decisions. However, um, there are groups that are spinning out that are just like, okay, I know you have to do this, just do it. Um, in those scenarios, um, the teams could work alone, and that's totally fine. They could work remote for sure. Um, I think for this case and this scenario, um, there are a core group of people that need to understand from the beginning to end um, because this is a care delivery change. Um, so then there are people who need to understand the bigger picture. Something that just kind of jumped out at me is the way it seems a lot of healthcare systems are moving right now, the speed at which they're moving is, is really like tech startups, right? It's, it's almost like move fast and break things. Obviously, you don't want to break things now, but it's like you have no choice, right? Mm. The usual methodical healthcare startup pathway doesn't work right now. And so, so everyone in healthcare right now is just like move as fast as you can because of COVID, deal with consequences later. <laughs> um, that's interesting because I was just in a conversation just earlier um, where we we're looking at taking a picture of like someone's insurance card. Um, and can we actually send it to um, a temporary worker um, who doesn't have the secured access that we do? Mm. And we're like, I don't think we could do that. Um, even though, um, even though, like, yes, like we need to do that now. Um, we are actually trying to figure out, like, how do I give them like secure access still? Um, so I think there's a we want to break it if there's no other options. Uh, or we we will have to break it um, if we don't have other options. But right now, I think there's still options for us to do it the right way. Um, and that's what we're doing. That makes sense. And I, I do think from a more top-down approach, having ways to loosen hip, HIPAA criteria like what has happened recently, I, I do think that helps. And also relaxing rules around 
telemedicine prescribing of essential medicines and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Now let's pivot a bit and talk about industry partnerships with academic medical centers. A lot of founders hope to sell software or IT solutions to academic centers like UCSF. So like, first of all, how should founders think about the optimal site for a pilot? Is UCSF or Stanford actually the right place for them to go? Or would they get more traction at a smaller but still tech-savvy hospital like maybe El Camino and Mountain View or something like that? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so I talk to the startups all the time. And basically what I say is um, learn everything that you can from a health system because you get basically this complex view that you'll never get anywhere else. So you get this like super insightful like detail about your problem that you want to solve. However, because it's so complex um, and it's very matrixy, um, that is much easier to implement it anywhere else, right? Um, but you might want to still have our faculty to design your study, to do it with you. Um, so we have that viewpoint with you as you do a study elsewhere. Um, so usually um, I say that not just because um, it's a timeline thing, because they could do it faster, it's also um, about like cost. Um, so for us, for us to charge a startup like this much, plus all the health system have a 60% indirect, that is crazy. Um, and a lot of startups cannot afford it. And that's okay. Um, but I think like um, basically tapping into our faculty resources or basically our expertise, like that would be probably what I would advise. Mm, that's a good point because that, that's a way for you to get some of the benefits of a brand name like UCSF and, and work with the expertise there while not having to go through the difficult parts of that partnership. Yeah. So similarly then, how, how do you make a trade-off? Because getting that brand name is really helpful, right? If, if I'm a startup and I can say, hey, Stanford Medicine uses my solution, that opens a lot of doors for me. But then at the same time, getting into Stanford Medicine costs a lot of money, a lot of time, might never even do it. How do you make that trade-off? Yeah, I think it depends on what problem you're solving. Um, if your problem you're solving doesn't require an academic center, so for example, there's a lot of scribe company, right? Um, a lot of times they start with like ortho, um, orthopedics, because it's a little bit easier. It's like to the point, um, and there's not a lot of patient feedback. That makes sense. If you do um, do it at UCSF and versus do it somewhere else, the result might be similar because they the way they do things is similar. However, when you do something like a transplant surgery or something that is a little bit more complex, you might want to be in an institution where they have best practices um, that you design the study correctly and have the basically ability to um, recruit all the patients that, that you can because um, it's sort of a rare disease, say for example, um, or cancer. Um, and so I think depending on the problem that you're solving. Let's say I am a founder who, who chooses to go to an academic center then. Like who should I approach and aim to be the source of leverage? Is that if for an IT solution, maybe a chief information officer? Are they executives on the more clinical medical side? Or maybe even the actual users, the physicians, the nurses, the staff? So if it's an IT solution, it depends on the solution. However, um, you may be able to do a pilot within a department um, that you could probably bypass going to the chief informatics officer, for example. Um, so we have done a couple where um, because to do a health system from top down, it's too hard. Like I'm a chief informatics officer. I'm like, why are you doing this when we're thinking about Epic will be able to do that? Um, sometimes they would just cut it off from the top. Um, mm-hmm. However, in those type of solutions, there might be a way that you could from the bottom up approach. There might be faculty who are just like, 
I have some research dollar, I have a grant, I want to solve this, you could be a tool for me. Um, and usually that's sort of one way, one good way of getting into the system without overwhelming the system and getting like initial buy-in from like a bottom of faculty. What do startups do wrong as they try to establish these partnerships with medical centers? I think a lot of times it's not knowing what they're interested in. Um, so I really like the companies who come in and say, I have to study design. I just need someone, a faculty to help me out. So they know exactly what they want um, and they, they want us to help out. So I think the expectation was right um, because it was a study design. They know a faculty could help. I think the harder problem is I want to do a pilot study at UCSF um, to, or like I want to do a pilot study and then I want UCSF to agree to use it thereafter as a vendor. Um, those are harder to talk to even though they have amazing solution um, because for us to do a pilot is a different state, sort of a research university state stage. Um, and then to be a vendor is a health system stage. So that's very different. So when their expectation is very different, it's sort of hard for us to help them help us in a way, if you know what I mean. Oh, that, yeah, that's, that's very interesting, the academic versus the health system side of, of implementation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's something that more people should think about. That's a very good point. What are some pain points in health systems that you wish startups would work on but seem to be overlooked right now? I think understanding that we actually take security, um, privacy, um, and very seriously. I think um, I talked to a lot of startup and it's usually not a bad mentality if it's not in the healthcare system. Um, so like, for example, my, my husband is in tech um, and he loves to just like break things. That's fine um, in tech or something, but in healthcare, that could be someone's lives. Um, and so I think for us that even though your solution is amazing and it's really cool, um, you have to take it seriously when we think about HIPAA and such. Um, so usually those take forever. Like how do you reduce the number of breaches or the possibility of that and the risk when I work with someone? Um, that's something that's usually hard to understand. I, I sometimes wish that they know a little bit more about it. Um, the other one is I wish they could tell me like, how much do they have, right? It's sort of like, so that I could help them design a study that would fit into their budget. Um, usually that's something that is harder to understand when you talk to a health system. Um, you're like, I need to basically put my best foot forward. Um, sometimes that's not the best thing to do when you're putting up a front that you cannot really support down the road. Um, so that's useful when you tell me like, hey, I need to study. Um, I could only afford this much. Then like, that's the best because I know exactly how to help you. Thank you for listening to the BIOS podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. For more content, please visit bios.community or alix.vc.